From 26, this is Rachel and Katie. This is our true crime episode of 26. Uh, it, it, it kind of is. I mean, the Korean study of the 761 criminals, it's interesting the statistics of what causes the criminal act. 2007, a okay. Korean study was done, and it was the characteristics of epilepsy patients who committed violent crimes. And there were 761 criminals admitted into this hospital, uh, National Forensic Hospital in Korea. And 17 out of the 761 had a diagnosis of epilepsy. That's 2.2%. Two of the 17 were female. All had localized epilepsy, which is frontal or temporal lobe type of epilepsy or seizures, mm-hmm. kind of like um, where you're not going to have a grand mal tonic clonic where the person's not going to fall, fall completely out of consciousness mm-hmm. um, or on the ground. All of the patients had no report of a seizure at the time of the crime. Eight of the 17 had a report of psychosis. Psychosis is types of hallucinations. You can hear auditory hallucinations. So you can think that somebody's telling you to do something and act on that. Seven of them were inebriated. And none of them really, actually none of the crimes occurred during the interictal phase, which means when a patient was aware in between, in between phases, they had diverse medical conditions. Some of them had a low IQ and they really do associate the time in between your ictal and post-ictal phases where the patient is going to act criminally. It's not during a time of semi-consciousness or consciousness that the patient acts violently. So it's, it's really a socioeconomical thing with the, the 17 people that had the diagnosis of epilepsy and did have criminal offenses. Korea has a mandatory education system and most Koreans finish middle school. And 58.8% of the epileptics in this study could not graduate middle school. If you're an epileptic patient and you have a bad socioeconomical status and you're kind of not guided correctly, you've got a low IQ, you have some sort of mental condition like psychosis, and instead of taking your medicines, you're drinking alcohol or doing some sort of other illicit drugs, you're going to set yourself off. And that's what they found in this study. And it wasn't necessarily the epilepsy, it was more that these epilepsy patients and their socioeconomical status. You say that it's not necessarily the epilepsy, it's all bundled together, all these risk factors. But at the same time, these are crimes that were committed post-ictally or pre-ictally 
for most of these patients, right? So there was some association with the occurrence of a seizure. When you have an absent seizure, you don't know what you have done during the seizure, even though you're standing there and you're talking. And so that's actually how I am um, pre-ictal. I can only remember a portion of my pre-ictal phase, and then I black out a portion of that going into my seizure, but I'm still awake and standing and could do something. I could still decide to, which I've done, decide to walk outside in a towel in front of a group of people, but naked. And then I fell and had a seizure, but I was aware enough to put a towel on because I thought I knew I needed help and I was going to find someone in that group, a friend, mm. and I didn't have any other wits about me. And then I just, the last thing I remember is getting the towel and I walked and I walked out to a group of people and I had no recollection of that until they told me. So you can, and you are capable of doing things in between all of your stages of seizures. You cannot perform a well-organized, purposeful, complex, goal-driven crime. To clarify during that like pre-ictal or potentially post-ictal phase, like in general, for example, if they were referring to you, like you could you could come up with a crime, you could plan it, you could do everything to execute it because your, your seizures are uncontrolled, but they're also sporadic. And so you sometimes don't have it for long periods. Right. So you could potentially. But I couldn't because I pass out completely. I only have like a time frame of like 30 seconds. So the most I could do probably say something I could, I will talk about another article that I read, and it was done by um, Alyssa Denton and Jose um, Feliz Zinto out of the University of Saskatchewan, Canada, talk about on a gentleman. He has focal seizures where I have tonic-clonic seizures where you completely pass out. He has focal seizures, and he grabbed a seven-year-old girl and tried to steal her after he had had interaction with the mother and the daughter and was kind of acting weird and was like, do you need help like getting in the car and went to go help them in the car. And then as soon as they got in the car, he tried to steal the little girl. Well, all of that tied into him. That was a seizure. So those types of seizures are completely different than the type of seizures I would have. I would have probably walked up to that person. I'm just saying as an example, I probably would have walked up that person, maybe called them by another name, possibly asked if they needed help. Pre-ictally. Pre-ictally. And then during my seizure, I would have been on the ground. I would have fallen over. I would have slumped over. I would have, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to continue having a conversation or what this person did is try to steal the little girl out of the back of the car. Okay. So this gentleman tries to steal the girl out of the back of the car, ah, realizes he's done something bad, drops the little girl, runs away. And they also find in these studies that um, epilepsy patients know like 
they run away, but then they come back the crime scene, crime scene, quote unquote, they come back to the crime scene. So this guy like literally like ran away. And when he came back, he was confused. He was out of it. They described, and he knew he had done wrong and he waited for the police cooperative. The police took him away, took him to the police station to interrogate him where he later at the interrogation, he actually has another seizure. He starts talking gibberish during the interrogation and he punched the police officer. Okay. But in that case, like, I think we're looking at a couple different things because A was the intention there. And I know some people will have an intention to do a crime, but it actually matters if you actually commit it. So I wonder, and even though he wasn't aware while having a seizure and he took the little girl or punched a police police officer, you know, were the intentions there? It just, it just blurs the barrier of what are controllable actions and what are not. I mean, I just have never heard of a seizure where in the manslaughter cases that I looked at too, I've never heard of seizures where you you hear of examples where they're in the grocery store and they look weird. Maybe they're having absence seizure and they're kind of swaying back and forth and, uh, you know, they spill the milk on the ground, but you don't hear somebody grabbing a girl out of a car or just punching a police officer. I do. However, I, in these two cases that I did read are all temporal lobe, which are going to be your focal absent seizures where the person is still standing and the the intention that kind of kind of let's kind of talk about how we went back to like our basics back to the 18th century and how they talked about epileptic patients back then um you know in the 18th century it was a notion that patients with epilepsy especially a focal seizure in the post-ictal state could exhibit bizarre or violent behavior. We have realized and can associate epileptic seizures with aggression and violence. He was, yeah, let's go back to him. He was charged with uh, kidnapping, unlawful confinement, and two counts of assault causing bodily harm. Two counts, one for the little girl and one for the police officer. Because they were able to trace EEG scans and medical records to prior to this, him having these types of seizures, he spent 18 months in jail and one year on house arrest. But by the time the lawyer got a hold of everything, he was exonerated on all charges because uh, they were able to prove that these were all due to his seizures and these were all seizure behaviors. He had a surgery after he was out of prison mm-hmm. and he was com- completely normal behavior. So my Google search looked really bad. I looked up epilepsy and murder. I don't know. <laughs> and it looked really bad. But the first thing that came up surprisingly was an NIH article. And the article was titled Epilepsy and Homicide by Pandya et al. And they looked at a case study as well. 
there was this 47-year-old woman with right temporal epilepsy. So very similar to yeah. your patient, your case study you shared. And just to note, all the Korean uh, patients, the, the 2.2, the 17 diagnosed with epilepsy, all had uh, localized epilepsy, which is frontal or temporal lobe epilepsy. That's what I was seeing on mine too. And so when you think about focal, Joe and you have like generalized. Yes. Generalized to our audience means that it can occur throughout the brain. Like there's not, it's not destined to a specific region. So the temporal lobe is interesting because this is the area responsible for memory, emotion. It's your auditory center. So there's a lot of functions there. And if you're having a seizure there, like you even mentioned with psychosis, Mm -hmm. because it's an auditory center, if there's a seizure happening in that area, you can see effects in memory, emotional changes. So anger. They're being very emotional or non-emotional or. Either way, it just can completely tweak that area. And that's why I found even in my case studies that the oftentimes the surgery the lobectomy yeah look out the region it helped tremendously with the seizures and therefore some of that anger and violence um but anyways so this is a 47 year old woman with right temporal epilepsy she didn't respond to medicines she had anger that was just getting worse and worse Um, very truculent behavior it drove her to the point of committing a heinous murder After the murder she committed, she was awaiting trial. She had a temporal lobectomy and that put a stop to her seizures and her outbursts. From there, she moved to a psych ward. Yeah. And her charges of manslaughter were removed. This article kind of opens up talking about her and kind of the story A to Z from when her epilepsy developed to ending up in the psych ward. But they also talked about potential risk factors for delinquent behavior as an epileptic. And some of these you talked about already. So alcoholism definitely is a big influence. Uncontrolled seizures, which mm-hmm. in all these cases, they're usually uncontrolled. They can't mm-hmm. predict when a seizure happens. Medication can't control it. I also read that um, somebody with lifelong epilepsy has a higher risk and lower intelligence. Very interesting. Yeah, like you talked about. And young men. Did you notice that most of your... Yes, in the uh, Korean study out of the Korean National Forensic Hospital, only two of the 17 were female, so that the majority were male of the criminals. And then one of the big factors is in the postictal stage. So after the seizure itself, and Katie, you've described this before as like, when you're in that postictal phase, you're really confused. How else do you feel? I'm typically very sick, sore, tired. And I, I feel that's why most epileptologists agree that a well-organized or purposeful like crime kind of be really committed and then blamed on someone that has like say generalized epilepsy like myself where instead of the short spurts I don't just you know absent out I'm completely gone 
it's like this very long pronounced wake up 30 minute wake up coming to find out what day it is again it can't be like that I mean that's like that's your experience with tonic clonic that was Joe's experience with tonic clonic seizures most of these patients we're looking at with epilepsy aggression epilepsy and crime these are these are temporal lobe epileptic patients and they are having a very different experience post-dictally theirs is associated with aggression and anger yeah and I can honestly say because I've experienced seizures uncontrolled generalized tonic-clonic juvenile myclonic epilepsy tonic-clonic seizures for you know 26 27 years now and I've never ever had a report of me being angry aggressive wanting to hurt a person that's trying to help me in my post-ictal state. That's good to know. That's reassuring to me and and to the listeners. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, you can even be angry if you tried, right? You were, it's like, you're just, you ran a marathon and fell 10 times along the way. I mean, that's probably, you sprinted a marathon and, and were dragged half the way. That's probably more like how you feel. Truly, truly. I want to go to sleep now because I'm so tired and yeah, my body hurts. So yeah. Yeah. So very, very different postictal perspectives. There was another case study. There was a patient 40 years old, new to epilepsy. So this is different from that risk factor that they extracted of having lifelong epilepsy. This patient was 40 years old, new diagnosis of epilepsy, late onset, she had complex partial seizures. They involved staring, oral movement, so maybe like smacking, mm-hmm. had no aura, which was interesting. She could also talk during her seizures. She had a normal MRI, but her EEG showed right temporal lobe activity. So we're right back at that right temporal Right lobe. back to it, yeah. So they tried to control her seizures and she just became less and less responsive. She had seizures practically daily and she also demonstrated pre-ictally, so before a seizure and post-ictally after a seizure, violent behavior. And that also increased as her seizures worsened and were more and more out of control. Okay. She had um, a post-ictal violent stage of typically um, up to 10 minutes. And this was a woman who had been convicted 32 times. Um, She suffered from alcoholism and depression. She wouldn't see, refused, turned down any like psych help as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So she had a little bit of of a history. She also turned down a lobectomy. So what happened was that the patient reportedly had no memory of arguing with her tenant and stabbing her repeatedly with a kitchen knife to be oh, right. No. Oh no. No witnesses, nothing. Um, so she was charged with second degree murder. <laughs> I only laugh because I, I'm flipping this backwards in my head because I just said I'm so non-aggressive. And I always told Jeff, my husband, I'm like, you know, this I'm the easiest episode of Dateline. Like I could just have a seizure or you could just murder me and blame it on a seizure. But this like, she's the complete opposite. She's an episode of Dateline, this poor woman 
who's the main subject of the yes and has no recollection after stabbing and no witnesses stabbing her tenant with a statement a kitchen knife knife. yes yeah this this idea of post-dictal aggression i was curious if any of our listeners if you've experienced post uh, any form of post-dictal aggression and would like to share it on the show we love to hear because this this is really interesting very intermittently um after her initial arrest for second degree murder and before surgery they tested her visual learning and verbal comprehension and they were very impaired so this temporal lobe epilepsy that became worse and worse depleted her um, visual and verbal functioning then she ended up getting the lobectomy and her anger aggression dissolved regresses wow Mm -hmm. wow Candia's team found 178 total case references of epilepsy and crime. They only analyzed 50 murder cases, though. They were overwhelmingly male and in the postictal phase. Temporal epilepsy took the lead. Focal epilepsy took 30% and 58% had unknown epilepsy. So there were some people who were diagnosed with epilepsy, but it couldn't be determined. There's some cases I'm going to talk about really just briefly that, I mean, these are repetitive. These are like people who are taking a kitchen knife and just over and over. These are people who are taking a hammer to the head over and over. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are like repeated extremely violent heinous crimes murders they aren't just like you know maybe if you were to picture like aggression for like 10 minutes post-dictally if you had um a very severe case of temporal epilepsy that was uncontrolled yada 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 maybe a history of violence so socioeconomic factors you would maybe picture it like as a if they they weren't fully aware of it maybe a they push somebody, you know, out of just down the stairs, you know, really quick. You yeah. don't really picture like this. Very, like grabbing the little girl. Like right. you, you don't grab the little girl and process. Yeah. No, you think yeah. of, I mean, but some of these really took some time to complete. It struck me that a temporal epilepsy beat out frontal lobe epilepsy which I would think because the frontal lobe is like our executive functioning, I like before we did research, if anyone were to maybe test me on this, I would 100% think frontal lobe epilepsy, that's like your overall reasoning and executive functioning. Mm -hmm. Like if you had maybe impairment there. That's how I would think too. Yeah. So that, it kind of threw me off guard, but that was really interesting. Um, Who do you think the most common target was in the case studies they looked at? that the patient attacked mm-hmm. they were a random most common was family most oh. common family member oh wow i'm i'm blown away yeah because i can't i can't even relate to i can't being an epileptic i cannot relate to this and it just blows me away well like, maybe because they're around their family more i don't i mean who knows most common family member was the wife Seven of the of the case studies involved women uh, committing the murder. In those cases, it was towards the husband or baby. Oh, 
Yeah, there are some cases like that. So legally speaking, I just wanted to bring it to like legal in legal terms. I had to just relook this up. Uh, manslaughter versus homicide. Manslaughter references a degree of like unintentionality. So you see a lot of these um, and a lot of these cases are initially given the manslaughter versus homicide label. Some were discharged to the hospital or a psych ward and um, pled insanity. But there actually is, legally speaking, an international panel of criterion to determine if the violent crime was the result of an epileptic seizure. Number one, obviously the diagnosis by a neurologist of epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Number two, they have to have video EEG evidence showing automatisms and aggression. Number three, the violence cannot be happening outside of seizures, which you okay. think some of these people have some records of violence and convictions, so they might fall out of that category. The next is the neurologist will ultimately determine what what the result will be so they are they're heavily involved in the court case yeah. i've heard of in the past like sleepwalking experts where have you ever heard of that yeah. case where like somebody like commits a crime when they're sleepwalking so this is like kind of the same thing i mean we might see we might even see in the future i don't know if anybody has a label right now but right now they're just called neurologists but epilepsy forensic expert during because that's also my joke with Jeff in the Dateline episode so like you know this is kind of like me this like you know they can also do an autopsy on me and tell if I actually had a seizure or not and you can't just blame it on a seizure like there we go (laughs) so you know yeah can you blame that person's action on their epilepsy I mean, maybe someday we'll have a special team of epilepsy, violence, forensic experts. Right now, we just have neurologists. Right. right. Uh, Thankfully, there's not a lot of epilepsy patients out there committing violent crimes. But I mean, 50 murders? 50 murders? That's what you... They analyzed 50 murder cases, but there were 178 potential cases that were recorded that they... Um, could have looked at. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just crazy. The, so the the violence was tracked in a lot of these cases with video EEG. The violent period was typically 30 seconds in length. That's such a short time frame where if you think of a 30 second murder, like in some, in some cases, like the 48 year old with non-specific epilepsy who beat his aunt to death proceeded to rubber of her money, put the body in the car, drove to another part of town, and further decrepitated the body, that's more than a 30-second murder. I mean, that, yeah, I don't know how, when does the postictal stage start and end for that patient? That's just way too, again, well-organized, purposeful, and, you know, has an actual intent and meaning if you're able to put somebody's body into a car knowing and then drive a distance and not get pulled over because there's no way I could like drive, make my body work to drive. It would be like a big fog of like 
how did I get to this spot? There's another right temporal lobe uh, epilepsy murder case study. It was very premeditated, in my opinion, waiting for a 17-year-old girl to return home from school. The male epileptic hid the body and cleaned up the scene. Oh, yeah. No I way. Mean, that takes time. And that's it. You have to know what you're doing. Like you actually, like you said, that's, that's premeditated. There's no way having been an epilepsy patient that you, I, you could do that, that you could function at that capacity. I think those people are using epilepsy as a cover for the crime that they committed versus a case study of the woman who had the surgery finally after like committing so many crimes and killing her tenant with a butter knife, then she finally has the surgery and she's fine. I mean, we have to leave the area open for possibility. This is a very, it's almost superstitious. It's on another level of crime from, from face value. I mean, these seem pretty meditated. The guy who had to load a single barrel five times to kill his aunt and uncle. Well, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't with it. I can't get on board either, but I would love to hear what you listeners Other, think. Yes. Pre-ictal seizure, post-ictal, maybe that is a good 5, 10, 15 minutes for them. Or an hour, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're cleaning up the whole crime scene during that. I mean, you, boy, if you could just, if you could just channel that energy to, instead of cleaning up your own crime scene, just clean up the house a little bit, or gosh, you don't know what you're capable of, get all your homework done. So after the postictal stage ends, you can, you know, go out. <laughs> you sure don't know what you're capable of, man, until you have to use it as a defense. Jeez. I understand like some seizures can change and a lot of seizures maybe all seizures change brain patterns to different degrees and levels and neural networks it's just it's still just difficult to wrap our head around this when there was another guy who upon word of his wife's infidelity he strangled her epileptic patient the initial charge was manslaughter but it's not specific, like what happened, ictally speaking, they couldn't prove if it was like pre-ictally or post-ictally or like what, if he was in one of those phases, how coordinated it was with the actual epileptic seizure. Because you hear of that seizures aside, you hear of cases like that happening as a reaction. I mean, the guy hears that his wife's been unfaithful you hear of some heinous incredibly wrong things that have taken place for people yep but now we're tying a seizures that's happened somewhere in there so did he have the seizure like right when you heard that from his wife because of the information he received from his wife yeah i mean did he commit the crime and then have the seizure and then maybe it was and I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go with he committed the crime because of the information and then used his seizures to cover it. That's that's what I, I mean, 
obviously we're the experts here so yeah i know i'm i'm a little i'm a little biased only because i now i now i'm i'm very intrigued because this is just so mind-blowing because i live with this disease and you've lived with someone with this disease so you know that this stuff just like it if you've never like witnessed the aggression and things like that so it's like whoa and to hear these stories are just no one talks about this. I mean, yeah. probably because it doesn't need to be talked about that much. It's not not common by any means, but this is bizarre that it came up so much in the literature. And I read out of the 50 murder cases they analyzed, I read them, like all the descriptions. I mean, they were so disturbing and I don't want to go through all of them here, but there's so much like hitting over the head repeatedly with hammers and spades and repeated stabbings and violent bullet wounds. Violent. It's very violent. It's okay. Just, these are incredibly some of the most violent crimes I've ever read in my entire life. For them to all be like violent and like blatant head wounds and hittings and gunshots and things like that incredibly violent and i could totally see how if like say they have temporal lobe epilepsy it's really affected their emotional states they become psychotic <laughs> they've become increasingly violent with their uncontrolled seizures i could see how that could play into the violence of these crimes but to blame epilepsy it goes back to that idea of intention it goes back to that idea of how much control uh, it goes back to the stigma of epilepsy to be honest with you that the, the stigma of epilepsy started far far back let's just say back in the 18th century when they it was a notion that patients with epilepsy especially focal seizures in their post-ictal state could exhibit bizarre violent behaviors they were also saying they were crazy. They were also performing, you know, things to try to help them, lobectomies and all sorts of crazy medical procedures. And there was a stigma with the behaviors that the patients exhibited crazy. Uh-huh. And that stigma is just kind of like stuck. And I, as we're talking about this and these crimes, I, I can see I can see why the stigma still kind of hangs. It's not necessarily about the seizure itself. It's about the behaviors surrounding the seizure. Yeah. Some of them like do seem reactive, you know, maybe like the strangulation case. Others seem very premeditated, spookily premeditated crimes. If I were to think, how would an epileptic be able to hurt somebody else. And I would think, okay, like maybe if you have like, notice that almost very few references or like no references at all to tonic clonic. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have imagined them to be like tonic clonic. Maybe you're holding a baby or something and then you, you'd fall to the ground and the baby does, baby dies, something like that. You, um, you fall to the floor and you accidentally fall on top of somebody and it cuts off their breathing. I thought it'd be more, non-violent like a manslaughter like no like completely accidental yeah, yeah. like accidental. no one went and found a kitchen knife and went to town like 
something where, you know, you accidentally hit somebody because you couldn't control your, your, your arm movements mm -hmm. or you um, accidentally shoved somebody. And I just didn't think it would be crimes like this. So weirdly premeditated and weirdly complex and violent. I was shook. That's very, I am, I'm, I agree with you. I, I want to dig deeper into this. I want to do another episode, a longer, episode. deeper episode. Yeah. This is our special Halloween episode, but let's do a little more research and, and continue with this, I think. I think so, because, you know, who doesn't like some true crime? And especially when we can wrap true crime into some medical conditions and possibly, you know, people using illnesses to get away with murder, to get away with violent acts of crime, other than, you know, a random criminal offenses. We're talking violent, blatant, possibly premeditated offenses. And this is very intriguing, very intriguing. We, we this is supposed to be an epilepsy and lifestyle podcast and grief podcast. And we've just spent the last hour talking about heinous murders. Who knew, who knew that would come up? But, you know, the more you read about epilepsy and the more we talk about it and do research, there are so many different fascinating faucets. We're just seeing some of the effects of some very serious, very unique, not common, cases of extreme mainly temporal lobe epilepsy people need to hear this yeah so if your spouse has temporal lobe epilepsy you know i'm just Go kidding get a to me today <laughs> oh my god i'm so bad because like i said i do do that to my poor husband but now i'm like ooh, maybe i could be the episode of Dateline. No, I'm totally, <laughs> totally kidding, listener. It's all a joke, but it's not really a joke because clearly it is happening as we've stated and talked about. So thank you listeners for joining us on this special episode, Halloween episode, true crime. Happy Halloween. Happy Day of the Dead. If you have any topic ideas, questions, or research you are curious about, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a message on our Instagram account, 26podcast, or email us at info at 26.org. Thank you for listening.